Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined here on this beautiful Thursday, recording on a Thursday, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. How are you out there in beautiful Georgia? Living my best life, living my dream. Uh, living uh, just a beautiful waking uh, nightmare? No, dream. <laughs> dream is the word. How are you in uh, in beautiful Westlake Village? Uh, feeling very fortunate. I mean, compared to other people, you know, have had to. I think we've talked about this. Who've had to uh, deal with maybe losing a loved one and or and or losing their jobs. I mean, just feel kind of very fortunate that way. So, um, so we want to give back and the way we're giving back obviously is through creating content for bro. <laughs> That's the way we're giving back along, with, is, some it's a beautiful, along with some charities. It is yeah. a beautiful charitable, uh, giving, <laughs> I, I am doing my taxes soon. My top 25 list, like how do I divvy that up as far as like charitable giving donations? <laughs> that is something that you wouldn't have done in any other year. It is true. Uh, this is this is something outsized that I am doing. I am donating these. If you had made all of them free, I don't know. You should call, you should actually call your, uh, I should. Call your accountant. See if somehow you can write that off, at Frankly. least. And and the work, the solid work that Blair is doing um, to you know add a little bit of flavor to the whole exchange is, I think, important too. And I think he should get even more tax donation credit for and it. And you are saying that in your fun little Davy Woods roundabout kind of way when you actually mean, Dave. I, I think he did excellent work with his rankings. <laughs> No, so the only one that got me, you know, honestly, Blair, honestly, when all you Cretans uh, picked Drew Holiday as somebody who deserves to be ranked in the top twenty-five, I was like, fine, okay. All these people, they want to think that this guy who was like a complete disappointment and pretty much like on his own was like the harbinger of doom for Ben Howland. Fine, okay, whatever. But Luke, not one of you people, not one of you, not even you, Tracy, had him higher than sixth. On your list, what is that? Where did I have him? You had him sixth. You were the second. You were you're you number two. I think I can make an argument for the five ahead of him. But my man Blair, number sixteen, and then That's I got everybody else yeah. six through eight. Like, come on, no, 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 no. Top five, top five minimum. But I did, I did it two ways. I, I, I did just not how big of an impact. That wasn't 100% of what I used to judge them, how big of an impact they had at UCLA, but also just how good of a basketball player they were at UCLA, too, because I wanted to wait that a little because some of the people who were very talented were maybe slightly misused by whatever coaching staff they were under. So I thought Drew Holiday was one of the most talented guys who's come through in the last 20 years, but... Dude, just I don't think he he got uh, utilized the way he could. But but I I get it. I highly weighted their impact at UCLA, and I think I you know I'm a big Luke fan. 
but I think my other five, I think my other five are, if I remember correctly, completely deserve those top five. At least it's very, very, very arguable. You were a person who did not have Aaron Holiday, correct? I had Aaron Holiday a little bit low. No, I didn't rank Drew Holiday at all. I did not have him in my top 25. Right. Because, but didn't you say Aaron Holiday was a little? You thought you had you had. Th- I thought you I, reevaluated. I, I you started doing. I personally feel like I had him too low. I had right. him at like ten or eleven. Um, you had him at top five. I think you had him at number five. Um, which I think, I think that's more fair than the top ten because when I'm looking at it now, what Aaron Holiday did his junior season. Um, I think I I think legitimately I have I have clearer and better memories of the like 2007 team than I do of the 2017 team. Absolutely understand you blocked it all out because I, I looked at it and I'm like wait yeah. I I wrote articles about how dominant Aaron Holiday was at the end of that year like how it was just oh he would just take a dude off the dribble and it was just done every in every time. aspect offense defense and and playing hero ball and actually being a hero and actually being good at it like i I was like and i was like trying to think about it i'm like man they just don't have somebody like that this year and they haven't had somebody like that in like 12 years and then it's like no they had somebody like that two years ago it was was he was one of the best players in the country in the second half of the season easily just took the team on his shoulders at that old cliche but man he i remember I, I that really lasted with me because I, I remember that it was incredibly yeah. impressive what he did with that team. Yeah, no, my blind spots. So like I have, I have, I have like an almost photographic memory of Dijon Thompson going for thirty nine against ASU, but I yep. probably couldn't remember a single game of Aaron Holiday's. Like if That's you asked crazy. me to like remember a result from a game, I'd be like, I don't know. He he was pretty good, but I don't I don't remember any game. But like. Dijon Thompson, I remember standing in the student section being like, wow, he just went for 39. And in one of those Ben Halland-ass offenses where going for 39 meant you scored like half the team's points. And it's just like, wow, that's incredible. Um, Wait, 39 is half the team's? 39 is 80% of the team. <laughs> well, this wasn't – this was pre-peak. They scored 78 no, no, points? Peak, I don't peak think Peak Ben so. Halland is when you go down in points. So okay. he, this was pre-peak, so he was still scoring too much. Um, but no, Washington State, where they went fifty to thirty, that was that was peak Ben Howard. That was a year later. Um, and the thing is, too, while while I did this too, while you tend to want to weight the guys who were part of the Final Four teams because they helped get teams to the Final Four, when you look back on those teams, they were friggin' loaded with talent. When you look at Aaron Holiday and what he did by himself, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, Luke was Luke still has my favorite play ever, and and it's not even where he caught the pass uh, from Jordan Farmar and converted that. No, it's, it's what the steal. It, it's what it's what he did on that inbound when he did the Superman layout and got that steal. That well, and it. the thing is, they're full on. Everyone's jumping and doing the celebrating thing. Like if you watch the, I watched it again this morning. Everyone's doing the like jumping, the celebrating thing, and then Luke like stops mid leap and then just starts running down the court because he knows where the ball's going. Like it was just. Uh... And, and this is my question: 
why don't why don't you do that on every possession? Just come from behind and leap and, and steal the ball. If you can, do, it looked like it was something like if the black box is indestructible, why wouldn't you just make the entire airplane out of the black box? I, that's something I say all the time. <laughs> oh man, have you ever seen those black boxes? Oh, sometimes they're really beat up. Yeah, no, it's true. Okay, uh, so yes, but I think it's been very. Very interesting. I don't know if you can just take Blair to task himself. We I'm all not have taking our... him to task. No, frankly, I think Blair has added our... some interesting elements to this thing. <laughs> and actually, no, but when I'm looking at it, it's interesting I because, because I think some guys clearly had it weighted from like NBA performance, even though it was like, you know, we wanted to gear it towards UCLA performance. But some people, I think, you know, still it's infecting like you know, their, their rankings in some respect, but there was some nuance, especially once you got out of the like top five, top 10 range where it was clear, some guys prioritize certain things. And it was interesting just the way things like shake shook out for everyone, because most people had Kyle Anderson ahead of Jordan Adams pretty definitively. Um, but a couple didn't. And it, just like where people were ranking like those early Alford players, like Norman Powell relative to Kyle Anderson and Jordan Adams was, it was just kind of interesting looking at. And I think we should um, show everyone the individual rankings at the end of this. Cause I think it'll be fun to break it down. I think we can break this news too. I think it's time because I think the, the suspense is over. Bryce Alford is not on this list. Oh, I already broke that news on the message board. Yeah. Yeah. No, B- B- Bryce Bryce does not make the cut. Um, if there had been a top 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. If there had been a top 35, he would have made the cut. Yeah, I haven't even done that. Haven't even thought about that. If there had been a top – no, I, this is an aggregate of the top 25s. Oh, oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. If gotcha. you add in the – because Bryce was ranked in one ranking, it looks like. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. so tell me who it was. I'm, Just not, tell, I, I'm not divulging at this – I'm not divulging at this moment. At this juncture, uh, I think this this will, this will have to come out in the okay. individual rankings. But okay. – one ranking did make it, so that was equivalent of ending up. It's you know like AP others receiving votes. This is uh, they would have been the equivalent of thirty fourth, thirty fifth, or the honorable mentions in the Pac twelve, uh, all Pac twelve teams. Those honorable mentions are literally just their own coach. So you want so so some guys who received votes. Uh, Reeves Nelson, he received a vote. Oh, you want to know? Barely missed the cut. Number 26, tied for, well, tied for 27. Two guys who missed the cut, Shabazz Muhammad and Alfred Aboya. Okay, I, I, I see that. I see both of those. I can see an argument for both. Oh, really- Alfred Aboya was comfortably in for me, but this yeah. might, again, go back to nostalgia. But, like, if you go back to Alfred Aboya as a senior, Alfred Aboya as a senior had suddenly learned how to shoot a little bit. Like, he had a solid, like, 10 to 12 footer. Um and was still doing all his Alfred Aboya things, like breaking. See, people. I have I have old man memory. You have selective, and I don't think it's selective. Selective implies that you're selecting to not remember certain things. You have blackout periods. Well, you really did blackout well, Steve yeah. Alford era, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's true. Where were you during Steve Lavin's 
regime. How old were you? High school? I mean, I was a child for parts of it. Um, like so 90, you were 20. 90, I, was I was 12 years old when Lav took over. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was there. I was present, but I was largely in high school. So I wasn't, I wasn't paying nearly as much attention as I did in college. Got it. So, but nonetheless, Aboya, Shabazz Muhammad. Shabazz Muhammad wouldn't have made my top 50. Um, but that was just because, and this is a small thing, I understand it. He is the most selfish player I've ever seen play for UCLA. And for, for maybe it's an aesthetic choice. I don't really like watching that. Mm, that's a big sweeping statement. I think I could maybe come up with a couple of players. So can can you recall another player, Tracy, who after another player on his team made a game-winning shot, he was visibly upset because he was not the one who got the ball? That doesn't – just because – okay, so you're saying he's selfish. He He's the most selfish person that you've that no, you the most could selfish, ever see. No, the most selfish player? basketball player I've ever seen. I can't speak to Shabazz as a person. Wouldn't Don McLean be up there in UCLA Well, history? now you're talking, you're talking about somebody who I was six years old when he was uh, peaking true. at UCLA, I believe. Yes. Yeah. You, you should go back and watch some <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I find it, it, you're right. It's very, it's very interesting. One of the most interesting parts is just not the rankings, but everyone's different perspective and how they process a ranking among the people we have doing it. Um, I, Brandon's rankings are interesting to me. Brandon's because, are yeah, yeah, because I, so Brandon, Brandon has a big uh, – obviously, he's, he evaluates football prospects, right? He does a very good job at it. He, I, I can trust Brandon, and Brandon can trust me. But Brandon's, whatever Brandon tells me about a guy, I'm, I'm put it in the bank. you know. And he does it not only because he's a good evaluator, but I think it's also because he knows he's going to be completely objective and come from just first an objective point of view, so without any bias. I think in a way, though, because he does that, you have to do that so much. I think maybe he brought a, he's indulged a little bit of his bias when it comes to UCLA basketball, which is fine, which I think this should be. There should be – like with you, you remember some some era fondly. And I think Brandon does No, no, no. My, my, my rankings are objective um, and true <laughs> and the only definitive rankings. Um Everyone else is operating from a position of subjectivity. And that was that was an objective statement. Yeah, I mean, I I am uh, I'm coming at this. I'm I'm you know taking the ten thousand foot view. I'm not even within myself at this moment. Like I'm not. I'm speaking from a place of objective truth. There was one when I saw Brandon's rankings. There was something I I said to him. I can't remember. It was really funny. And I called him up and go, "What? What about this?" He goes, I, "I'm looking for." You know, usually when we talk football and he's giving me evaluation, he's like, well, okay, he's, you know, he's a little short-armed. He's this, he's giving – I think – I can't remember who he was talking about. He goes, yeah, I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> that was his only explanation why he wasn't ranked. I didn't like him. It was something like that. It's so good. He, he's a funny guy. He is. Um... Uh, yeah, so that is interesting. Um, Dave, what do you think? I think – what everyone wants to hear us talk about, we wasted a lot of time. 
uh, is about Dacian Knicks. And oh, you mean you mean current reality, not yes. our opinions of um, settled reality. Yes. Got it. Uh, obviously, Dacian Knicks opted for the select contract, is what it's called, for the G League, which it, it, interesting, too, that this rule has been in effect for a year and a half, I think, almost. And no one in a 2019 high school class took advantage of it. It's just the 2020 class, probably because of the coronavirus pandemic, has made people reconsider some things now. And floodgates, you wouldn't say floodgates because, what, I think three people have done it, unless more suddenly happened in the last day. But three high schoolers have decided to take advantage of that new rule that will allow them to play in the G League under a select contract. They cannot be called up to the NBA in that first year because they're ineligible to play in the NBA. Um, so Dacia Knicks took advantage of this. Um, I know personally, from what I've heard, was that uh, a lot of the reasoning that went into it was exactly what I said. They, they were thinking... The family, the Knicks family, was thinking there might not be, there's a good chance this season, the 2020-2021 college basketball season has not played. Uh, and they couldn't, the, in their mind, he is a one-and-done player. So it was one year in college and he was leaving for the NBA anyway. So the prospect of staying in college, not playing a season, sitting at home with online classes and not really getting to work out formally as opposed to going to the G League, working out with NBA coaches, I think that really a, a, uh, was what might have sent him over. Um, so first, your opinion on that, Dave, and then secondly, this whole rule, good or bad for college basketball, or or maybe just bad at this exact time because of the coronavirus or maybe in long-term good and just bad now? What do you think? Uh, first on Dacia Knicks, um, on a personal level, um, I cannot see any rational reason why he would pass up whatever, 300 grand, 500 grand to play this year or not play this year or whatever uh, for the opportunity to come to college for a year and maybe not play this year. So, right. Starting off, I, I think he's making a rational and good decision for himself um, and his family. Obviously, it sucks for UCLA. Um, really bad timing. Really this, bad timing. But this time. but yeah. he's making a good decision. I think to um, on a broad level with the G League generally, um, the NCAA has to get competitive here, um, and they need to sooner rather than later relax all compensation restrictions. I know they've relaxed some as of yesterday. Uh, but they need to even think further outside the box than that. Um, and I think there's going to be a reality where um, the NCAA and colleges generally are not going to be as competitive for the top guys going to the G League as, you know, the G League will be. And that's fine. Um, if the top tier guys go, it's not going to be much different from whatever um, when there was no one and done rule, when it was just guys going straight to the NBA. Um, but they have to get it a little bit more competitive just so like the top 25 guys aren't going every year. Um, right. And that might come soon. 
So for Knicks, I think it makes sense. It sucks. It's unfortunate timing, but I think it totally makes sense. And I think in light of the coronavirus, it made it make even more sense. Um, but I think it, if I was a high school kid and I got an offer to go to the G League for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or go to college when I'm anticipating for on my own that I'm going to be a one and done, th- there's no contest. Just go to college later if you really want a college degree. Um, but you don't need to play college basketball. And unless you're going to a school that's going to pay you a lot of money, because frankly, that does happen. Um, but I don't know. There aren't many schools that are going to be competitive on a three hundred dollars to $500,000 a year offer. I mean, just even in the reality of under-the-table payments, that's not going to I, I mean, we heard in the FBI, I mean, that, they didn't even get up into two dollars $300,000. No. Those, the FBI investigation, I think... I can't remember. I think the most was maybe a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, so. and I know. I know we've heard anecdotal things in the past, you and I, and, and others that have been more than that. But it's all anecdotal. And if we're talking about the hard numbers the FBI figures out, and it's more like a hundred grand, well, that's not competitive with the G League. So, um, and there might be other payments that go on under the table, and there certainly are to family members and so on and so forth. But you know, anyway, that's getting far afield. Um, getting over getting over the table actual like taxable verified payments is probably better and safer for anybody. So good good for Dacian Knicks. Um, and from what I heard, just just so that you know everyone takes this away, um, based on the knowledge I have on this, if uh, if there wasn't any threat that the college basketball season wouldn't be played he would have gone to UCLA for the year. So just know that. Yeah. Um, but I, and I like talking to you about this because overall, uh, now the new story that came out that I actually wrote about yesterday was the NCAA allowing, what's it called? The NIL, the, uh, the name and I, likeness stuff, name yeah. and likeness, uh, that college athletes will be able to make money off of endorsements. Mm-hmm. Um, so where does just when you really start, maybe you, you sit down and you start thinking about it, your mind really starts to reel about how this could be absolutely exploited for <laughs> illicitly exploited by programs that cheat. Who's to say there are certain SEC football programs that will have sponsorship deals and endorsement deals lined up for recruits where, I mean, they're almost just like an online, you know, match service between, <laughs> between recruits and, and a, some kind of donor who's willing to give them an endorsement deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what, where you're going, you say that's all well and good. Let's just get it way above board, above the table and just, but yep. you know, you and I both know that that's not going to happen at least for a while, and at least while the NCA is who they are right now. So how how do we regulate this now, Dave, and well, keep so, it from cheating programs from really cheating? If your fundamental problem with it is that it will affect competitive imbalance because the cheating programs will cheat, um, I mean that's already the case. They're already cheating more than the non-cheating programs. They're already using more of these, you know, used car dealerships and whatnot to funnel money to kids. Um, so it's already happening. Um, this opens up another opportunity for it to happen in a slightly more above-board way, um, and it will 
I think, allow more competitive balance. Um, If, you know, Casey Wasserman's agency can sponsor a kid or whatever, um, that's that feels like a more balanced thing because I I have to imagine the SEC is already using a lot of their boosters and their money um, to funnel money to kids. It's not like, I don't know if this opens up a vastly different huge pool of money um, that they're not already tapping into for the cheating that they're doing. Um, so I don't know. Um, I, there's a lot of ramifications of it, but I'm, as you know, I'm I'm definitely of the opinion that this should happen. It's definitely a good thing that it's happening. It should happen in an even less restricted way than it's seemingly happening. Um, but let's let's drill down and say, how does this does it help or hurt UCLA? Uh, UCLA, I think it helps. Um, I think some uh, lower tier power fives. I don't know how much it helps. Uh, might hurt, um, you know, your your Oregon states of the world, your Washington states of the world. I don't think it helps them a great Why? deal. Why? Um, because uh, I might be, I might have an opinion that slightly refutes that. But okay, weaker, go. weaker. Well, frankly, a, a weaker uh, booster base and a weaker um, weaker surrounding area. Um, not as many businesses that are going to be willing to sponsor you. Um, and like I'm thinking like a lot of medium sized local businesses would sort of take advantage of these opportunities um, as an actual sponsorship opportunity versus just the boosters looking to funnel money. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What, what's your take on it? Uh, my take is that when you're in a you would naturally assume a big market program university would benefit because, like you said, there are more opportunities for endorsement. But I also think smaller markets, there are, you go to Tucson, for example, there are a lot of, there's a smaller dealerships that are very willing to throw out 200 grand within the Tucson market for, to endorse something, advertise something. LA is highly competitive. I, I mean, I just, I think you're competing. There's so many places for people to put their endorsement when they're, you know, it's basically an ad, right? You're using a guide to advertise your company. There's so many more opportunities in LA. When you go to Tucson, where it doesn't have sports, professional sports stars, doesn't have a lot of other things that they can find people or things to endorse their product. I, I don't know. I think it could even out. I think you might be able to find more businesses who are willing to endorse, uh, you know, a, a wildcat basketball player than necessarily necessarily in Los Angeles. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's a lot of speculation, but uh, I don't know if it necessarily helps or hurts UCLA. Um I don't really care either way. I think the main thing is that it's going to help the kids. Um, well, it'll probably get more money in kids' pockets. Related to, while I remember, uh, remember I did a story a few days ago about how that new grad transfer rule that the NCAA is recommending that it enacts where grad transfers can move on to another school and don't have to be admitted into a grad program but can take classes towards another degree or just take – general undergrad classes after they transfer, you would have thought this would really benefit UCLA because it was very difficult 
for grad transfer student athletes to get into a UCLA grad program, this would maybe open the floodgates to where a lot more would be able to transfer to UCLA and basketball and football would take advantage of it. Uh, no, I just got word that UCLA will not, it has a policy as does the S, uh, the UC that it will not, it doesn't allow transfers, grad transfers to, they don't accept grad transfers who are coming in without another degree, uh, stipulated just to take, I'm sorry, to get another undergraduate degree. Yeah, you can't get a second baccalaureate at UCLA. Can't get a second baccalaureate. So I found out that that is going to hold for this NCA transfer rule. So only can hurt UCLA again when it comes. Every time you think UCLA is just kind of nudging, you know, in, in a situation like grad transfers is approaching to where it might not be at a deficit, something else happens like this any kind of consolation that you see berkeley does also not allow second baccalaureate applica- uh, applications that's about your only consolation i take it back you see berkeley allows baccalaureate degree applicants only in their college of chemistry okay well so all right you can just have um a second bachelor's in chemistry that you start there you go i'm sure yeah, um, just transfer and declare your major at college, the college, you know. Chemistry, college. organic chemistry, chemical engineering, all very um, easy fields of study from Absolutely. my um, recollections. Yes. From college. Yeah, I. you know what? I think we're joking, but I would bet we are going to see a transfer <laughs> to Berkeley and he is – his his baccalaureate – degree that he's pursuing is something in the college of chemistry yeah yeah don't you think yeah enjoy that enjoy that okam okam um yeah that'd be a lot of fun um so okay and then um other ramifications of this so for ucla specifically i have like kind of a semi-hot take about this about like what it actually means for next year so right now if we had like music or some kind of sound this would be the time you would hit the button and play it yeah yeah basically so in isolation we'll talk about some other news and notes early on or soon but in isolation there you go there you go in isolation by itself not no big deal but i don't think it's a a world-ending situation to lose station next for next year um, as we talked about in our last show, UCLA has a ton of guards and wings. Yeah, you're taking what would have been – I mean, you were talking last week that he might not even start. Um, but Oh, even no, if, I, thought, I thought he'd start. Yeah, but he might not. Um, he would be in that competition group. Um, but throw all that aside, so you take Knicks out, and what you're left with is – Tiger Campbell playing like 32 to 35 minutes a game like he did this past year. David Singleton, Jalen Clark, somebody mixing and matching for like eight to five to eight minutes at point guard every game. And then everything else remains much the same. So say this Chris Smith comes back and say this other guy we're going to be talking about in a second comes back. Um, all you're really dropping off is 
and it's it's something. It's an elite distributor. But we're talking about a team that was playing like a top 15 team at the end of last year without Dacian Nix. Um, you're adding to that group a Jalen Clark who's potentially going to be pretty good. Um, you're also adding all these dudes who had finally figured things out by the end of that year uh, back for next year. Um, and seem, and I would guess many of them would be improved. I don't think it's make or break on UCLA being a top 10-ish type team next year. Um, I really don't. Maybe it takes a small bit off the upside. Maybe it's not a potential, you know, hanging a banner type program uh, next year. But it's still shouting distance to the Final Four, I think, if if everything broke right. Um, obviously, you know, you can't have injuries and guys can't regress unexpectedly and all that different junk. But it was playing like a top 15 team at the end of last year. They don't lose functionally anybody from that good team if Smith and, and Jalen Hill come back. So, I don't know. Big deal, yeah. But world-ending or something that needs to cause a bunch of histrionics on the board? Yeah, not really. Yeah, not world-ending, not make or break. But what it is, um, it's a development that chips away at what we were projecting just when we did this broadcast a week and a half ago. Um, and the other thing, too, is... Uh, the recent buzz about the other NCAA rule, God, the NCAA is just <laughs> is doing a lot of work right now, I guess, because they have to, um, about transfers being immediately eligible one time. Uh, it's been going back and forth for the last month. Yes, they're going to pass the rule. No, they're not going to pass the rule. Yes, and right now, the pendulum is swinging towards they aren't going to, coming out of their last meeting that concerned this, they aren't going to allow immediate eligibility before this next school year. Uh, so Johnny Juzang would be, uh, his eligibility might be determined uh, by his hardship waiver. I haven't heard anything recently on it. All I've heard is that he had a decent chance at it. Uh, for a few reasons. So between Dacia Nix not coming to UCLA and the possibility that Johnny Juzang, I think Juzang offers uh, a good option, uh, added talent and shooting ability for this season coming up. So it just chips away. It's another chip away. Chris Smith being another chip. Jalen Hill being another little chip that gets chipped away. And what do you think about Jalen Hill potentially going pro, Dave? Um, well, so I think it's – I don't think he has any chance of being drafted. Um, the question is, is he going to get – is he going to get some sort of offer to go play somewhere for $100,000 or $150,000 and decide he's just done with college? Um I don't know. I, I don't know the situation that well. Um, but well, he doesn't get drafted. No, right? under under so, almost no circumstances is he getting drafted by the NBA. So his chance is that he picks up uh, 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 a contract, a two way contract to play in the G League, or I, he goes and plays overseas. overseas. Um, 
the the beginning of the two way contract. What is that? One hundred twenty five thousand dollars to play in the G League, I think, uh, something like that. And then overseas, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about about uh, European leagues given the coronavirus. Uh, I mean. Uh, I've heard a lot that those leagues aren't financially stable anyway, and this could be a death blow to a lot of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's well. And and for him, a hundred thousand bucks is not enough to do that, um, or whatever. But we're talking rational sense. Well, so this is where so for Dacian Knicks, I think it makes rational sense to go in the G League because his stock. I, Right now, his stock's probably going to be whatever it is at the end of next year. I don't think it can go much higher than it is right now. It might go lower if it, you know, if he shows poorly in college. But he's now thought of as the top, you know, point guard or whatever, and and he probably still will be or nearly there um, after a year in the G League. Jalen Hill, I, I think, got a lot better as a player from like the end of his redshirt freshman year. He started to show some improvement, and then he was a lot better last year. Um, he still has a ton of upside left out there and there's potential for him to eventually be an NBA draft pick and actually get some guaranteed money. And he still has two years of eligibility left, which is an opportunity because of the uncertainty with the coronavirus situation. Um, he can just kind of play out the string in college, wait around for everything to get semi back to normal so that he can be an NBA player in two years. Um, right. I think it makes sense for him to stay stay another year. For right. Chris Smith, I think it's the same sort of argument. Um, I think Chris Smith has a much better chance of being drafted. I think he, you know, if I was if I was gauging things right now, I'd say you know maybe at the end of the second round he could get picked. Um, but even still, there's if he stayed and had a really good year of college, and if they don't have a college season, guess what? They'll have another one, and you'll have eligibility for that year. Anyway, like they'll give you eligibility again. Um, but if he comes back and has a really good year, then he could be, again, a guaranteed contract guy in the NBA. Um, I think for him, it's going to be a, a harder sell um, because he can probably make more money overseas than Jalen Hill can or more money in whatever situation than Jalen Hill can at this stage. Um, but I think it's a similar argument for both where college, just hanging out in college because that's an accepted decision. Um, by a lot of entities, I think it might make more sense just to kind of hang out and wait and see what what happens with the coronavirus. Well, there's two. There's a few things, but what makes sense and what they decide to do are two completely different planets, as we've known. Jalen Hill makes so much more sense, obviously, for him to come back, but we've seen really bad decisions. Chris Smith. If you're Chris Smith and you're starting to hear and and who Chris Smith is talking to right now are NBA people, NBA agents. He's talking to probably talking to G League. He's talking to everyone. And their their pitch right now is, hey, there isn't even going to be a college season. You're going to waste a year sitting online, you know, doing online classes and not even being able to work out. I mean, you can see how. Maybe in Christmas mind, it it makes some sense to keep his name in the draft. Um, he has to pull it out by, I think it's June second. Uh, you would probably wait 
I mean, we're a month away to see if there's anything definitive that's decided about the college basketball season. But Dave, we'd have to, we'd have to guess that nothing definitive is going to be decided about the college basketball season by the beginning of June. No chance. I, so, and, and this is another thing that I think is funny, and it's kind of a side note, but all these universities that are announcing they're going to start classes again in August, they have no idea. None of them. Not a single uh, one of these universities has any idea whether they're going to be open for classes. I think it's entirely trying to get deposits and tuition in place. I think it's also um, not just to get people to make those payments, but so that they have a future argument to keep 100%. <laughs> of the tuition and all those fees. But it's entirely a money thing. Like it has entirely a money. And I don't, no university is going to be able to make that determination. It's going to be driven by the States. The States are going to make the calls um, or the federal government, if it ever steps in. But I mean, it's not going to be the universities that do this. So, um, and what, and what uh, we're going a little bit off track, but something that has personally come up in my family do you go away to school? Um, you get into graduate school. You get into post, you know, post grad work. You've been accepted. You, do you go? And it's and it's far away from home. Do, similar to you know undergrads, but uh, are you going to go get housing? Are you gonna? You gotta buy. You gotta get an apartment now if you're going in fall. Um, and do you sign, you know, a year lease? I, there's so many things I personally think. It's there's so much uncertainty, and to have the universities coming out now saying that they're they are going to have in-person classes in fall. Wow, I, I think that's I don't want to say necessarily irresponsible, but it, it is it's tough for families that are trying to make financial decisions when it comes to students going away to school in fall yeah the fundamental thing is it puts so much more of the onus um as with a lot of these things on individuals versus institutions um so much more of the onus is on okay well if you want to stay ahead now you have to you got to come back and or you got to start your you know med school or whatever you gotta you gotta keep going because we're not slowing down and we're not stopping um institutionally um, where it would make a lot more sense for, you know, with a lot of those things to just kind of hit the pause button for a year or for half a year or whatever yeah. it ends up being. And yep. that's just not happening at a lot of levels, but still, even with all of that, even with the, obviously the, uh, a driving impulse from on high to, um, open things back up, the reality on the ground might be very different by August and anybody making a determination right now. You're making a determination three months in advance of the thing that's going to be happening. I mean, how much have things changed since the beginning of April with this thing? Um, You know, at the beginning of April, that was when everyone recalibrated and said, oh, well, only 60,000 people are going to die. So we can start thinking about opening up. Well, we just went past, like, I think 63,000 people. Um, So it's just, I don't know. Things change um, drastically, and, and making determinations way too far in advance is probably silly right now um which is why i don't think it's a real determination i think it's more of a yeah open uh getting a little bit back i think i wanted to just to talk a little or say something about that the g league select contracts the option that dacian Knicks took uh right now i because i think because of the coronavirus 
it, like with Dacian Nix, it's inspiring, motivating probably some people to take those contracts and forego college. I think in the long run, though, other than in these unique times, I think it's going to be good for college basketball. Um, those one and I, I don't like one and done. I don't. I don't like dealing with one and dones in in recruiting. I I don't necessarily even like watching them in, play college basketball. I would like all those one and dones just to go to the G League, and don't even think about going to college. What do you think, Dave? I agree, um, and I'll I'll divulge something right now. Uh, okay. When I thought about Dacian Nix added to the team from last year that I really grew to enjoy watching all the good chemistry, obvious good chemistry and the defensive commitment and all that stuff. And I added Dacian next to it in my mind's eye. I sort of shrugged. Uh, Yeah. I I was like, I don't know if that's fundamentally better. I don't know if the added offensive execution is worth giving 32 to 35 minutes a game or whatever to a guy who might not have the defensive buy-in might not have that same attitude, might not have that same chemistry with his teammates that Tiger Campbell had. And you brought this up before, and this is something that you really have to consider. When you get the number one point guard in the country, a five-star guy, not that it's written in a contract, but there are are playing time commitments. You've got to play him. If he he isn't, just from the mere standpoint, if, if you don't play him a lot of minutes, other elite prospects would be saying, hey, they don't play their elite pro, you know, in their freshman year. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but I think in the long run, like we, I think there's so many elements. The more you think about it, I think it's good. And and personally, I'd really like to see uh, how does it affect Duke and Kentucky. I mean, a lot of the people make the point. Well, you know, Duke and Kentucky go go after their one and doneers, and now the one and doneers will go to the NBA G League. So the Duke and Kentucky will just shift down to the next rung, not one and dunners, but, you know, two and dunners and make, make those guys their targets. Or do you think it hurts Duke and Kentucky? Uh, I think it hurts the pocketbooks of their boosters because <laughs> they'll have to pay more uh, to keep those guys. No, I think they'll actually keep a higher rate of their one and duns. Um, than other schools. I wouldn't anticipate many of them. I mean, there's going to be some, but not as many of them will go to the G League as the ones who would be otherwise recruited by, like, a UCLA. Um, So I think it's... They'll they'll continue to go after their top-tier prospects, I'm sure. Um, But I I think UCLA's competitive with... um, I think UCLA would be competitive recruiting with the guys who are not in that super elite tier. I mean, maybe that's me looking at it through UCLA colored glasses, but it's not like the reasons Kentucky and Duke tend to like do well with all these like super five stars are, I mean, there are some obvious reasons that's happening. Like they're paying some money. I mean, in addition to they've got really good programs, but they're paying some real money. Um, so yeah, they'll they'll get some prospects. Um but I mean UCLA if you're not I don't know. Maybe the whole thing shifts downward and suddenly four-star guys and high four-star right. guys are getting paid a bunch of money. I just don't know if the value is going to be in it for, you know, boosters and coaches and stuff when you 
Because the thing is, they are. Hey, inferior. we just paid a hundred grand, and that kid sat on the bench his well, whole freshman exactly, year. Exactly, exactly. Because they are inferior prospects. When you do it with a five star, now in you know rare cases, a five star won't pan out, right? Um, you know, you got your Bobo Morgans, who just uh, turns out that was a complete miss, right? But yes. for the most part, they produce. And it didn't cost that much. It didn't cost that much. <laughs> it cost just a little. Um, but, but typically a five star is going to produce. And so Kentucky, when they get, you know, some money spent for some guys, they see the product on the court and they're like, okay, wow, we got some, we got some value from this. When Duke doesn't, we got some value from this. But, um, if you're doing that for four star guys suddenly and they don't produce or they sit on the bench, then there's no value in it. So maybe it even takes a little bit of that kind of illicit money out of the game and instead, yeah. you're just doing it with the endorsements and, and sponsorships that the NCAA is opening up. I don't know. Maybe that's an idealized version of the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Yeah, but I think Duke and Kentucky, I think they're going to still keep some of their five stars because I think they are more predisposed to get competitive with the G League. I have a couple other things to talk about, Dave. So some of the recent five-star guys – um, do you think that signed that signed that committed? Uh, you know, the the most immediate guy that comes to mind is Joshua Christopher, who signed with ASU. Mm-hmm. Um, does he now reconsider? Do those guys who you know were holding out through spring are are we going to see more of those? I would have to imagine. I, again, I think it's the rational choice, unless they're yeah. getting paid more by the schools they chose to stay on the bench. And I, I, I'm and to be clear when I'm talking about like schools paying people, I really don't care and in fact I think it's generally a good thing. So I'm not trying to cast aspersions here. I'm not trying to like say ASU's paying people. I have no idea specifically. But it really is going to depend for all these five stars. Is the school I'm paying me that's paying me are they going to continue to pay me? Is this a contract? Am I going to get continued to get paid throughout this, even if school basketball is not played? Okay, if not, I'm going to the G League. And I think that needs to be the calculation if they're making a rational choice. Um, Here's think, another element. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Go, no, you, you, you go. Another element that I don't know, and I'm wondering if you do. Um, Dacian Nix, Jalen Green, they're playing in the G League, correct? They're playing with G League players. They're not – it's not just – a little league of uh, I don't know the specifics of um, select guys who can't be called up to the NBA. They're playing in the G League, correct? I, I don't know the specifics. Okay. One other thing I wanted to bring up: uh, the endorsement deal, which would go in effect, I think, within a year for the uh, 20, 2021, 2022 academic year. Uh, this is allowing, again, this is uh, allowing student athletes to uh, benefit from endorsement deals. Um, specifically, when it comes to UCLA and its Under Armour deal, uh, you'd have to think the shoe companies, the apparel companies, are going to be involved in this. They're going to be looking for college players to sponsor, correct? Um, under Armour stock in the company is generally not good right now. Uh, they there's been some feeling that they might be getting out of grassroots sports themselves. 
compared to the behemoth, which is Nike and their endorsement money. I have to think when it comes to this whole NCAA endorsement rule in relation to the apparel companies, it hurts UCLA because it is Under Armour. Would you agree? uh, I don't know how much it's going to impact, actually, because I have to imagine the um, school endorsement deals are going to outweigh the – I don't think – I don't think athletes are going to be able to get separate endorsement deals from those companies. You don't think so? There's no stipulation yet. So that would be something they'd have to... I think that's going to... Because I remember that was in the early text of a lot of the state things that they would not have... Because I was initially thinking the same thing, but um, shoe companies and apparel companies that already have um, sponsorship agreements, because you wouldn't want conflict. You wouldn't want kids to be endorsing Adidas when they're at a Nike school. Um so it's just I, I think that's going to be if it's not that's something that the NCAA is probably going to institute. I would have to imagine. You would have to imagine, but who knows? I mean, so far I haven't heard anything on it. That would change the entire game because if everyone on a team can wear Adidas because they are personally sponsored by Adidas, then what value is it for the school to have a Nike apparel deal? True. So I, 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 I can't imagine and schools are going to have to have their own regulations on this because there's a lot of value in being a, a whatever apparel school in terms of the equipment and stuff that goes to the other sports that aren't revenue sports. So I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it. One last thing about this, the endorsement thing. Uh, if you haven't read on uh, the football forum on bro, uh, there's a thread about creating a bro endorsement fund so that bro would be able to endorse um, allow pay money to get an endorsement deal with the ucla player or players so that they are sponsoring bro and we would pay them what do you think of that wow that's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot. That's what I mean. This endorsement thing. There's so much. The, the NCAA is never good at thinking out the ripples or ramifications ever, ever. And that's one of my biggest takeaways of doing this job <laughs> is that the NCA kind of institutes a rule and then, you know, realizes what happened a year later and went, wow, we didn't we didn't foresee that happening. This one is the big daddy of that. Uh, there are so many ways. I mean, why couldn't Bro uh, pay a UCLA player as to you know be the? Uh, I could have the likeness of Jaime Yaquez on the on Bro. Oh, I mean, I, it could get. I mean, it's going to get ridiculous, um, but in a good way. Um, and I think it'll all get it'll all get it'll all shake out because so yeah, maybe we have a few bro endorsed players. Um, I should I should buy I need to buy a domain name right now. What should I buy? Yaquez Report Online right now. <laughs> I'm I mean I'm just thinking more. You're paying kids to like wear a bro shirt, right? Or put a bro emblem on something, or you know whatever, yeah. or to do a yeah. do a quick Instagram endorsement. 
every now and then of like, hey, you should sign up for Bro to read about, you know, these guys critiquing me or whatever. Um, you know, like just that kind of thing. That'd be right. That seems easy. Among all the UCLA board. players, who are the biggest Instagram influencers? <laughs> that's what I have to look into. Well, now, yeah, exactly. But that's that's good. This is good. This is a is way this to get. Good? This okay. is no. It is good. It's a way to get more money to you know the actual people who perform the sport. But honestly, how does it work? How would would you think it worked? And we're just blatantly talking about this that. There are boosters and donors who are bro subscribers. They give money to bro, and I use that money. Bro uses that money to get an endorsement deal. I mean, that can't be viewed as being legitimate, right? Why wouldn't it be? So okay. there's there are like I mean there's some sense of media like ethics and you know ethics what ethics. what media ethics <laughs> there's some sense uh, of that but like I mean whatever we're a we're 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 somewhere in that gray area um, as is but I don't know that doesn't seem that weird to me like I, I if you're thinking about a pro league I mean they're often especially like in soccer they're promoting fan sites and that sort of crap all the time. Um, so I, I, it's basically where the money comes from. I mean, where is it ultimately coming from? Even TV dollars, where are they coming from? Okay. They're coming from subscribers. They're coming from people who are paying money. I'm absolutely certain that the NCAA is not, would not get to this in, in endorsement deal 1.0. No, but it's, I mean, it's, you'd have to look at the bylaws and the regulations, but I would imagine it's, are they really going to regulate against it? Are they really going to, you know, keep it as like a you cannot have an endorsement from a fan site in there? Yeah, I I don't know something something to consider. And it's a it's a whole new world. There, you just sit down and think about the mind reels. I think it's going to be cool and fun. Yeah, I think so too. I, I you know overall. I think the theory still holds that you and I have had for a long time that there are more good things from players being able to earn money than bad things, college yep. players, from their own likeness, from their for first thing, it's the even though there might be some, you know, illicit things that that's come from it. The, the basic morality of it, it's their likeness, it's their talent. Let's they back, should be able to make money off of it. Let's go back to um uh let's go back to Luke for a second. Um okay. our uh, our number eight player in the last <laughs> twenty years somehow. Um all those Mute kicks Boote shirts in yeah. two thousand six. How yeah. much money does dude make off of his brand? Cameroon Crazies and Mute Kicks Boote. Just in terms of everything going around that team for three straight Final Fours, how much money is he making? I'd say a good bit. Good. Bit. Yeah, I mean a, a good, you know, some good, some good pocket change at least that he could carry around while he was at UCLA. So yeah. That, so that good bit, and I think it's more than pocket change. I think he's making a good bit. Is okay. it enough to keep him in school for a fourth year? I I think so. Yeah, that, uh, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Is there are real world ramifications of this, and maybe it's not at the star level. Maybe it's not at the like, 
you know, the Josh Especially Rosen. Especially from this standpoint. Think about it. See, you just keep thinking. So he he goes in with a T-shirt company that starts putting out his likeness on T-shirts and says, you know, Ma Butte kicks Butte. And then all the fans start recognizing, if I buy a $25 shirt, that is going to help keep Luke Ba Mute in college. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, 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 maybe and maybe it doesn't happen at the Josh Rosen level. Maybe Josh Rosen is still a three and done type guy. But these sorts of dudes, like Luke or whoever, I mean, Chris Smith or Jalen Hill, I don't know if they've got the brand, but I don't know. It, it becomes something where, okay, maybe there's enough money flowing to these guys that it's enough to stave off the G League. It's enough to stave off the International Leagues. It's never going to be enough to stave off first-round NBA. Never going to yeah. be enough. Yeah. But is it enough to keep guys coming back and keeping them for three or four years instead of two to three? And that's the point where I think, you know, for fans who otherwise are like, oh, I don't want these players to get paid for – and I'm going to even be generous and say for traditional reasons. You know, I, I like the amateurism or whatever about college basketball – Get behind that because it might actually lead to a more sustained product in terms of the players from year to year because guys have a little bit more incentive to come back. And it's not even incentive. It's not like they're getting riches. They would be getting riches from this because unless they're absolute stars, they won't be. But it'll be enough that they're not just having to do the whole college experience while also working their sport for 40 hours a week. Um They'll be getting compensated a little bit for it, and that'll be maybe enough to keep them from wanting to jump ship at the first sign of any real money, which is, unfortunately, what's sort of happening at UCLA in the last, like, decade. Any real money? Oh, I'm out. I'm out in a heartbeat. Um, And I I don't want to watch that anymore, and I'm sure nobody else out there wants to watch that anymore. Yeah. No, I I think overall, long-term... I think it's good for college sports. There are going to be some instances where <laughs> some things happen as a result of it. You know, wow, that was that's just wrong. That's that's just a corruption of the idea. But in the long run, I think it helps. I think it helps keep players in college. Yep. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're done. Yes. Okay. Well, this was fun, Tracy. I think it. I think it was too. I enjoyed it. Did you actually? Are, are, did you tape this whole thing? Yeah, I did. I did. It, <laughs> okay, it, it is all recorded. It good. is all um, on my computer. All right. Okay. Well, you know what? We were going to talk a little bit of football recruiting, but you know what, Dave? We need to do another one next week. Yeah, you know, and I don't. I don't. I don't want to talk. But it's actually kind of okay. I don't want to. Okay, we won't. But there's been some encouraging I... things happening. But. Okay, we won't talk. Okay. Don't, I don't, don't want to. Okay. For Tracy <laughs> Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we'll talk to you again next time. Stay safe out there.